I had a good time not just uh, being with you and worshiping with you and, and the team this morning, but also watching that video that Pastor Brant produced. And it made me wonder, uh, we really want to uh, do something like that. We don't get to use those videos over in East Jordan, uh, but we'd like to because they're fun to watch. But it did make me wonder, if good humor comes from God, Pastor Brant, where does bad humor come from? Because we may need to wrestle that one to the ground as well. Um, there's some other exciting changes, not just in our staff, but how many of you noticed out back? There's uh, some little difference of appearance back there. The ground's been dug up. Some trees have been cleared. Uh, how many of you seen that back there? And, uh, I'm excited to go back to East Jordan next week and, and share with them what's going on back there because uh, a lot of folks in East Jordan have been contributing faithfully for some time to our building fund. And uh, they're going to be excited to hear that we've broken ground and begun to prepare the way for next spring for that new youth center to go up to meet the needs of our students in both locations here at Walloon. And uh, since we're one church in two locations, we also have one building fund, even though we have two building projects going on. And did you realize that every time you contribute a dollar to the building fund, you're also directly helping uh, the congregation, the part of us that meets in East Jordan every week? Because uh, one of those two projects is over there. We're going to be expanding our auditorium, making it bigger, making room for more seats. And, and not a moment too soon, we'll be starting that project in September. And we need the space over there. And so I just want to, on behalf of all the folks that worship in East Jordan each week, thank you for your generosity, for your prayer, and for your faithfulness in uh, contributing to that opportunity, even as you're contributing in the building fund to the youth center here. And keep in mind, we're only halfway to the needs in both those projects, and so continue, if you would, to consider and pray that God would provide and perhaps that he would show you uh, what part he may have you to play in an ongoing way in those needs as well. Something else that I know some of you are excited about is the Summer Olympics taking place right now. How many of you have been watching that on TV? How many of you, like me, are at least following on your phone or uh, in the news and kind of wondering how we're doing as a, as a country? Well, it's uh, exciting to see that the USA leads in the medal count, and we're all thrilled about that, right? I am particularly excited to see some of the medals we've won in the more combative sports. Uh, sorry, it's just the way I am. I really enjoy the kind of sports where you can hurt somebody. Uh, if you do really well. And, and for example, this guy, uh, Nico Hernandez, he won the bronze medal in boxing. Uh, Daryl Homer won the silver, silver in saber, which is a form of sword fighting. Uh, Kayla Harrison won the gold medal in judo for our country. And uh, Jenny Thrasher is probably a hero in northern Michigan now as she won the gold in rifle shooting. How's that for a girl that you'd like your son to date, guys? And uh, my favorite sport, though, in the Olympics anyway, is the one that I spent the most time competing in in high school. And uh, the, the sport that I'm referring to is wrestling. Not, not that kind of wrestling. I know some of us have that image in our minds. I'm talking about the Olympic-style wrestling of, of freestyle and Greco-Roman. And, and uh, it, to me, it's one of the purer forms of raw sport. Mano a mano, trying to figure out mentally, physically, emotionally, how am I going to defeat this other person? And, and it's all out there on the mat, and, and one person wins, and one person loses every single match. Some of the reasons why I like it, but we haven't won any gold medals yet in wrestling because the competition in wrestling in the Olympics starts today. And so I'm kind of looking forward to seeing uh, some of those matches and, and uh, how our teams do. And uh, it, it makes me wonder, given that, did you know the oldest sport in human history is wrestling? 
And it's the first one that people started to compete in, according to historians. It makes me wonder if there was sports in the Bible and uh, competitive elite level competitions. And, and I wonder if there was, would Jesus ever be able to lose like uh, Peter is swatting away his shot right there? Uh, it also makes me wonder um, how those sports might unfold and, and uh, what the media might have done with those things if they took place in Bible times, in the Old Testament, and in Jesus' day. Well, if you've ever wondered that yourself, even while you're watching the Olympics, I've got good news for you. We're going to find out today and that not only did it happen, but we're going to see as we continue to follow the life of Jacob, a guy who lived thousands of years ago in a culture very different than ours, and yet, surprisingly, he's very much, in a lot of ways, like every one of us. We're going to see today that Jacob is going to get into a wrestling match. And I tell you, it's one for the ages and worth us looking at today. I invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word as we read out loud together a passage from Genesis chapter 32. And we're going to be starting in verse 22, reading through the end of the chapter. You ready to read with me? Here we go. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, as an eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, This is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Let's pray together before we dig in and look at this wrestling match a little closer. Father God, I know some of us in this room are excited about the Olympics because we enjoy competition. Lord, I'm also pretty sure that there's some of us in this room who couldn't care less about wrestling or probably any other sport for that matter. And yet, Lord, you've led us this morning to carefully consider not just an Olympic event or a competition that's recorded for entertainment or for glory of those who competed, but so that we can learn your heart, so we can understand a little bit better how you want us to interact with you and with those around us in this world. Lord God, I'm sure that there are some people here today, whatever our interest in wrestling, who find ourselves wrestling in life, struggling and trying to figure out our next move, in a variety of situations. Lord, some of us are all out of moves and at the end of our rope. We have no idea what to do next or how we could possibly pull off a victory or overcome the circumstances that we face. 
Some of us are struggling in relationships with people that we care about and dearly love. Father, some of us are probably, even right now, in a wrestling match with you, Almighty God. Lord, would you help us this morning to understand not just what happened with Jacob in this wrestling match, more importantly, Lord, would you help us to understand the key to how he managed to overcome in this competition. Lord God, would you help us to understand and then be overcomers as we apply your word to our lives today. Lord, we need not just our understanding or a preacher's words. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. And we're not asking for your presence because you're already here, whether we recognize that you're here or not. Lord, we're asking right now that you would take control of this room, of our ears, of our minds, and of our hearts. Father God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you allow us to hear from you? to be impacted by you like Jacob was on this night. And ultimately, Lord, would you be the one to overcome and make us overcomers in the process. We yield ourselves to you this morning. And we're hungry for what you have to offer us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take your seats, if you will. Now, if you've ever wrestled competitively, you know how six minutes worth of a match can seem like an eternity when you're in the middle of it. It seems like it never ends. It's so intense and, and uh, fatiguing. And, and this match lasted all night long, literally for hours. And yet the passage that describes it is really short, uh, too short almost. Because if you just read this passage and then move on, it, it can be confusing. It can actually raise more questions than the answers that it provides. For example, you may be wondering after reading this now or in the past, who is this man that comes along and, and why does he start a wrestling match with Jacob? What, what prompted the match to begin with? You may be wondering, it seems by the end of the story that any set of officials or judges would have awarded the victory unanimously, um, TKO even, uh, to the guy that Jacob was competing against. And yet somehow... Jacob is called the overcomer. How did that happen? And you may even be wondering, what's up with that name change thing? Seems like God does that a lot to people. Why does he do it to Jacob? What's the meaning of it? And ultimately, while he's on the ground in the process of losing, Jacob is calling out for that blessing. Did he ever get the blessing? And if so, what blessing did he receive that might have been worth all of that night of sweat and effort? You know, I've been wrestling with this passage for a couple of weeks now, and uh, there's some things that, that the Lord has shown me that I want to share with you from this passage. Uh, but ultimately, it turns out that this, this night, this wrestling match is the turning point in Jacob's life. Twenty years before in Bethel, uh, where that stone that he had set up as a memorial it was a place where he had met God for the first time in his own personal experience. And uh, in some ways, his life was changed, and yet his behavior was very similar for the last 20 years after interacting with God than it was before he ever met God uh, in Bethel. And at this point, he's going to have his second personal encounter with Almighty God, and it's going to change his life in a way that didn't occur 20 years before. 
We're also going to see in this passage that it really did happen. This was a physical, uh, actual event that took place. It wasn't a vision or a dream like he had had 20 years ago when he saw uh, the stairway to heaven. This actually occurred, this wrestling match, and yet it's an awfully powerful metaphor. It describes, it gives a picture of Jacob's entire life. It gives a picture not only of Jacob but of the nation of Israel named after him who came for centuries and centuries and and continues to be a picture of what's going on here this night in the life of and in the experience of God's chosen people, Israel. It's also a metaphor or a picture of each of our lives, at least at some points when we have an experience like the one that Jacob is going to have this night. And if we're going to understand this passage and how it relates to us, I'm convinced that we're going to have to relate to it a little bit. What I mean is, we're all going to have to be willing to do a little wrestling this morning. Are you ready for this? I'm going to spare you the, uh, the sight of seeing each other in wrestling singlets. And uh, we're not going to drag out a mat and have you roll around on it. Uh, we're going to do it a little simpler. How many of you know what thumb wrestling is? Okay. What I need you to do right now, turn to the person next to you, uh, find a, somebody to be a partner, a, a competitor with, and, and you're going to do a thumb wrestling tournament. That's where you interlock your fingers like this, and then you use your thumb to try and control or pin down the other person's thumb. When you pin them, you've won. Find your partner, do a little thumb wrestling. Let's go best two out of three and see who wins. Hit it. You're not sure how it goes. Just watch Jonathan up here with Cal. I see some of you who are avoiding the competition. It's really going to help you if you make an attempt to try and thumb wrestle somebody else in the room. Take a moment. Put the effort in. I hear some talking, some laughter. There's about 10 seconds left on the clock. We're going to see if uh, uh, we can get some last-minute victories here with a pin. And as you're talking and laughing, I'm also hearing some grunting and some groaning. I'm hearing some effort being put out. How many of you had a fairly competitive, spirited uh, battle going on right there? Some of you did, yeah? How many of you are willing to say, I won? Right? And how many of you are willing to say, the guy I was competing against won? I lost. A few less hands somehow. I don't know how that worked. Uh, You know, there's something in all of us at least when the situation and the circumstances are right, that makes us very competitive. We get into the spirit of whatever it is that's going on, and we want to win. We do whatever we can to try and figure out how to gain the upper hand, pull out our best moves, and and manipulate the situation, and, and come out on top against somebody else in life. And it happens all the time. It's not just in sports. Sports is a metaphor for our lives. And this wrestling match that Jacob has, if you look at verse 22 in the passage we just read, that night is a summary of Jacob's entire life. Because that night as he was wrestling, it's a, it's a flashback of everything he'd experienced in his entire life. From the womb, Jacob had struggled and wrestled and competed against everyone he had ever met. And life for Jacob was a competition. How can I get ahead? What do I have to do? What kind of moves do I have to pull in order to come out on top of whatever situation I'm facing, whatever competitor that I'm facing? 
And it started right there in the womb with his brother Esau, the twin, whose heel he grasped on the way out of the womb. And even in the womb, it said that they were jostling and, and struggling with each other before they were even born. And it turns out years later that in the Battle of Wits, uh, Jacob managed to gain the upper hand somehow against his older, bigger, stronger brother. How'd that happen? Well, he had outmaneuvered him. And over a period of time, you remember the story of the soup, and then uh, sometime later, the, the, uh, the hairy wool that he put on his arms and the charade that he played with his mom's help to try and fool his father, Isaac, uh, he finally managed to wrestle away his brother's most prized possession, the blessing, and the birthright that was due him. The same exact thing happened after he left his home country and went to find his wife and where his future father-in-law, Laban, lived. And he spent 20 years wrestling and competing and struggling against that man and doing everything that he could, pulling out every move that he could come up with in order to gain the upper hand. And he left town with more stuff than Laban had, had acquired during those 20 years. So he's the winner, right? At least in America's terms, whoever dies with the most stuff, well, actually, they still die. And, and there's the thing. Somehow or another, Jacob had managed to win the battle of wits against both these competitors. And yet, both times, he was the loser. At both times, instead of getting glory and honor and a gold medal, he had to run away from town like the con artist that he was in fear of his life because he didn't play fair, because he cut corners, because he made people so angry with the way that he played the game that they wanted to kill him. In fact, that night, he had just fled from Laban's household, and Laban caught up with him. And if God hadn't intervened before Laban caught up with Jacob as he was fleeing, Jacob wouldn't have been alive that night. Not only that, uh, he's going back home for the first time in 20 years. Remember the reason why he left home to begin with? His mama told him, you better get out of Dodge because your brother's going to kill you. He is so angry with you. They haven't met or spoken since. And now, because he has no other options and because God commanded him to go back home, Jacob's going back home. And he's got to face Esau who wanted to kill him last time they saw each other, Jacob's pretty sure that he's still a wanted man by his own brother. In verse 22, that night, the night before he's going to meet Esau face to face, he is terrified. He won the battle of wits, but he lost the war. And he's afraid he's about to lose his life. In the beginning of the chapter that we just read, in thir chapter 32, uh, the beginning of it, Jacob sees the angels of God encamped around him, ready to protect him, just like God had promised that he was going to do, and watch out for him. And that should have brought him comfort, right? He should have gone quietly to sleep and said, hey, even God's angels are ready to fight for me and defend me. Whatever happens, I'm okay. I'm in good hands. Instead, he still continues to scheme and pull out his best moves, whatever he can come up with, in order to try to outmaneuver and outflank and outwit his brother. What's the result? If you look at verse 6 of chapter 32, uh, it sounds like Esau is ready to go to war. He's ready to fight a battle that Jacob couldn't possibly win. So his last-ditch efforts didn't work. In verse 9, finally, Jacob gets around to praying. 
everything else has failed. The only thing left, he turns to God. You know, the scripture doesn't give us too many uh, accounts up until this point where Jacob actually turned to God and asked for help. And yet here, in chapter 32, Jacob's prayer is a beautiful one. It's a biblical one, even. It's the kind of prayer that God loves to answer on behalf of his own people, like Jacob. Because Jacob prays, he begins by saying, Thank you, God, for giving me far more than I ever deserve. And worshiping him and thanking him for that. He then goes on to remind God of his promises from his own words to Jacob and how he was going to watch out for him and provide for him. And he continues in his prayer then finally to say, God, I'm at the end of my rope. I got nothing that I can do to solve my own problems. Please help me. That's the exact kind of prayer that God wants to answer. You ever been in a situation where you were hopeless? Where you were all out of options? And you turn to God to pray? And that's what Jacob does. But here's the thing. As soon as he says amen and looks up from his prayer time, instead of trusting, instead of waiting for God to provide the answers and the protection that he just reminded God that he promised to, to give, he starts scheming yet again. He starts wrestling with how he can come up with a victory even though he's about to lose. Verse 13, he cooks up a strategy to bribe his adversary by giving him extravagant gifts. And in verse 23, the verse that we read together, he sent them across the stream. He's talking about his immediate family members, the last of the people that he cares about and the possessions that he has that are still with him. This is the last-ditch effort, the final move that he has in his arsenal of desperation to try and come up with something. And what happened was he sent his family and uh, friends and possessions in two different directions so that if and when Esau did attack, hopefully, even though half of everything that he loved and had would be destroyed, at least the other half might have a chance to escape. That was the best that Jacob could come up with on his own. Now, in his most desperate hour, because he has separated himself from everyone that he loves, he's all alone, and he's afraid. You ever been in one of those situations where you're desperate, and you don't know how the situation is going to unfold, you can't control what's going to happen next, and it's looking really, really bad? Maybe you've been in the situation where that was going on in the background, and in the foreground, in the middle of your heart and soul, you realize you're not only afraid, you're also lonely. Maybe even sitting in the middle of a crowded room. Maybe this is one of those moments for you where you're at the end of your rope and you're all out of moves and you've got nothing left to offer. You ever been in that situation and then prayed and asked God to intervene? Let me tell you, if you haven't experienced this before, I want to prepare you for that moment because those are the moments when God shows up most powerfully and most clearly in our lives most of the time. It may not be in the way that we expect, and he may not provide the answers that we're hoping for, but those are the times when we call out to God with nothing left in us that he answers. Here in verse 24, the beginning of his answer arrives. And it's a strange one. Jacob's left alone. He just got done praying. He's done everything that he can. And a man wrestled with him all night long until daybreak. You know, the Bible doesn't say what started this conflict, but it does indicate what kind of wrestling match it is. 
This is nothing like the little friendly thumb wrestling competition that some of you did, no matter how heated that may have gotten for a few of you. This isn't even the kind of uh, rolling around on a wrestling mat that they're doing in the Olympics starting today. Uh, this was, according to Scripture, wrestling. The Hebrew word here is avak, which literally means to stir up dust and to get dirty during a conflict. Uh, this kind of wrestling... And it brings to my mind, at least, uh, something a little bit more like Johnny Cash described in A Boy Named Sue. You remember that song where uh, their barroom brawl took place and it spilled out into the muddy streets and, and they continued to, to fight and grapple and, and, and destroy each other, it seems, until they were both wallowing in the mud and the blood and the beer, right? You use whatever kind of image you need in order to picture what's going on here, but make sure that that image is a knockdown, drag out, no holds barred kind of fight, because that's what's taking place here. Neither of these guys are going to walk away clean. Verse 30. Jacob didn't realize it at first, but by verse 30, he begins to understand who it is that he's competing against. This isn't a strange man. This is God himself. Uh, is continuing to be revealed later in Scripture. Uh, we find out that this is Jesus, uh, the very one who was that stairway to heaven that he had seen in the vision 20 years before. Uh, this is the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, who was appearing here. And that brings up a really interesting question. Why in the world, after Jacob had prayed and asked God's help, why would God show up and then wrestle and even choose to fight and injure Jacob, one of his own people? And there's a lot of guesses here. Here's my guess. And my guess is that Jesus came in Jacob's most desperate hour in direct answer to his prayer. He showed up to help Jacob. But Jacob, before he even recognized who it was that was there or why he was there, Jacob did what Jacob always does. Jacob begins to fight. Jacob takes matters into his own hands and tries to figure out in an instant, how can I gain the upper hand in this situation without even realizing it's Jesus himself standing there. And the wrestling match goes on. It continues. What's the result of Jacob's desire to wrestle God to the ground here? It's interesting. Verse 25 says uh, that uh, the man which we now know is Jesus, could not overpower him. Seems like an odd thing to be saying about the almighty God. Uh, is it really possible that Jacob was such a big, tough guy that even God couldn't defeat him? Well, the answer is obviously no. This word is often used as it is here, uh, usually not to describe somebody who's physically incapable of doing something, but somebody whose moral code will not allow them to do something. You see, Jesus could have easily won this match. He could have recorded the fastest pin in Olympic history this thousands of years ago, and rather than wrestling all night. He could have killed Jacob the moment he started if all he wanted to do was win or defeat Jacob. But that wasn't God's ultimate goal here. What Jesus wanted was control of Jacob's will. He didn't want to crush his spirit, but he did want to control his will and have him surrender it to his own will. And he wanted Jacob to stop fighting like he'd been doing his entire life. He wanted Jacob to stop resisting God himself like he had been doing at least for the past 20 years since his first encounter with him in Bethel. And finally, after graciously allowing Jacob to give everything he had to the decision of whether or not he was going to submit to tap out to Jesus or not, 
after all night long being patient with this wrestling match, after 20 years' worth of patience and grace in this wrestling match, finally, at the end of the night, there's only one option left for Jesus, who wants nothing more than for Jacob to stop fighting. And that is to take away Jacob's strength, his ability to fight anymore. And you see in the passage here, in verse 25, that the man, Jesus, touched him. Now, this isn't some secret wrestling move or a kung fu thing that nobody else knows about. This was the supernatural touch of God. In the same way that he heals people miraculously, here, he destroys a part of Jacob's hip. He takes away his strength and his ability to resist anymore. Did you know that when we refuse to submit to God, he's gracious, he's loving, he's gentle for a very long time sometimes. But there comes a point where Jesus, just like any good parent, will eventually come to the place where he will take away whatever privileges, whatever things he has already provided to us in order to leave us no option but to surrender to his will. You ever wrestled with God before? You ever won that match? It's not going to happen. It didn't happen with Jacob either. Eventually, Jesus will do whatever he has to do in order to gain control. Not because he wants to lord it over us, because he loves us. And his control is better than anything that we can come up with for ourselves. You have in verse 26, the man, Jesus himself, saying, let me go. This wrestling match is over. I've won. You're defeated. You're in the ground. You can't even stand up anymore. Give it up, Jacob. And here's where Jacob uh, does something interesting. Uh, he responds, and, and it, he seems tough and tenacious, and the ultimate underdog that even in sure defeat, he's still going to go down fighting. It seems virtuous. I've always read this and thought, wow, that's something noble, isn't it? And it seems even, a casual reading, that he's actually going to be rewarded for doing this. But then we see Hosea. Years and years later, God inspires Hosea, writing about the nation of Israel, the descendants of this guy in this wrestling match, talked about Jacob himself, and specifically this night, the turning point of his life. In Hosea 12, verse 3, we see, In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. Somehow or another, did he turn the sure defeat into a victory after he had been injured? No, no. Here's how Hosea describes it. It gives insight into the whole story. He wept and begged for his favor. He's laying on the ground. And unlike a big, strong man who refuses to give in no matter what the odds, he's hopelessly finding himself at the feet of Jesus, his adversary, all night long. And all he can do is grab on to the foot of Jesus, the only thing he can reach. And he starts crying like a girl. And he says, stop! I've lost! I can't fight anymore! But I'm going to be destroyed tomorrow. I have to have what you have because I can't do it on myself anymore. Please don't leave me like this. Please give me your blessing. I'm willing to surrender my will and what I want and my ability to fight. You've taken it all away from me. And the only thing I have left is the one thing I can grab onto, the foot of Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't let him up right away. Jesus wants to make sure that unlike the experience at Bethel, even with the rock to remind him, he wants to make sure that Jacob remembers this night for the rest of his life. He wants to make sure he understands what's taking place. And so he says a very simple question. What is your name in verse 27? Jacob answers honestly, I'm the heel grabber. I'm the guy that from the very beginning of my existence was trying to grasp on to anything I could get a hold of, trying to win the upper hand in every situation. And I just battled tooth and nail, knocked down drag out with you, and I lost. There's nothing left that I can grab a hold of, no move I can pull out, no situation I can come up with that's going to allow me to have the upper hand against you. And so I'm grabbing onto the only thing I have left. Your foot. The heel grabber is grabbing the heel of Jesus here. Jesus is saying, your whole life you've been in this position, Jacob, even if you didn't realize it. All your struggle and wrestling and fighting and scheming and trying to gain the other hand and trickery to accomplish it, it didn't work. You've been in this position your whole life. No more, Jacob. No more. Tonight, everything changes. And then, verse 29, finally, he blessed him. After Jacob finally understands what he's done, that surrender is the only option. And that raises the question then, what was the blessing that Jesus offered to him? We see an explanation, a summary of of the major uh, high points in Jacob's relationship with God in chapter 35 in response to a worship experience he was had when he went back to Bethel. And he talks about how God appeared to him 20 years ago. And then in verse 9 he says, After Jacob returned from Padamaram, that's this night, God appeared to him again. Graciously, God doesn't mention the wrestling match, the knockdown drag out or the mud and the blood that they were covered with by the end of it. He says, God appeared to him and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, heel grabber, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. Israel is the one who struggles but overcomes. And this name-changing thing is, is powerful in a way that our culture has a hard time understanding. But I can tell you that this week I was privileged to attend an adoption proceeding in a courtroom. And at one point in the proceedings, the judge said, I hereby declare that your names, those who are being adopted, are now and then filled in the blank with the new family that had adopted them. Nothing in that moment changed for these guys except for everything, because their identity had changed. Their relationship had changed. Who they belonged to had changed, and and who they were changed in that moment. And that's what's happening to Jacob right here. A part of the blessing is God saying, your whole life you've been ashamed, kind of like the boy named Sue, of your name, because it described your futile attempts to grapple and wrestle and grab onto whatever you can. Your entire life you've been wallowing in the mud in order to try to gain an advantage. I'm going to release you from that name. I'm going to give you a brand new one. Struggling. It's been your whole life. But now, he says, now he says in verse 28, you've overcome. You know, it's interesting. The the blessing continues uh, both here in this passage and in chapter 35. And he goes on to describe the blessing that Jacob had been begging for. That Jacob finally came to the place where he realized he couldn't possibly live without. And his the blessing is described, it's exactly the same thing 
that God had promised to bless him with 20 years before. Exactly the same blessing that he told Jacob, like I gave to your father, like I gave to your grandfather, I'm going to give you descendants, I'm going to give you possession of the land, I'm going to bless the world through you and them. And he gives the exact same promises once again. The same blessing. Jacob had been wrestling and striving and straining to try to grasp for himself what God had already promised to give him years before. Finally, he says, it's time to go back to Bethel. This is what I wanted to give you all along, but for 20 years, you've been too busy resisting me. You've been too busy fighting everybody in your life. You've been too busy wrestling in your own strength to simply receive the blessing that I've been wanting to give you for two decades. No more. You're a new person now. You belong to me. That struggle describes your entire life, but now you have overcome. And again, how can a guy laying on the ground covered in mud, incapacitated and unable to fight anymore, how could he possibly be described as the overcomer in this battle? Jesus is pointing out to make sure that Jacob, now Israel, understands it. Even though he'd been utterly defeated, he won by choosing to finally stop Jacob won because he was willing, finally, to surrender. He had a new way of living, and that is dependence on Jesus rather than dependence on himself and his abilities and his conniving ways. And Jacob, while he was lying in that ground, was saying, as he was grabbing onto whatever he could reach on Jesus, he was saying, I'm not fighting you anymore. I'm willing to do it your way, to accept your blessing that I've been striving to get on my own all along. Verse 31, in the aftermath of the story, the sun was shining and God was smiling on the face of Jacob. Now Israel. But you know what's interesting? He was limping because of his hip. After all the dust had cleared and they washed himself off in that river and, and now was experiencing a new kind of life and, and a new name and had to report all this to his family and friends and why he's limping and what happened in the, all night long, for the rest of his life he walked with a limp because God wanted to make sure that he never forgot his need to surrender to the will of God. His utter dependence on the one that he couldn't possibly defeat and the futility of trying to do it his own way even for one more day. Verse 32 tells us that even to this day, not just the one written about thousands of years ago, but even to this day, 2016, did you know that kosher regulations still remind the Jewish people by the way that they handle this particular part of the meat that they may eat, the hip and the joint? And they still are required not to eat that. It's a constant reminder of what Jacob did, their founder, Israel, the beginning of their nation, their people, to remind them, you can wrestle against the Almighty all you want, but you can't win. You can only be the overcomer if you're willing to surrender. If you're willing to raise your white flag like we sang about earlier and say, I can't do it anymore. It's got to be you. God's love finally wins the moment that we're willing to surrender. Have you been wrestling with God lately? Maybe like Jacob, you're in a situation that's got you terrified. 
you're at the end of your rope and you don't know what's next. You've been trying to figure it out as long as you can, doing everything that you can, and still it's not working. Uh, maybe you're finding yourself struggling with the people around you in ways that you can't overcome. Uh, maybe you're experiencing pain in your life. Maybe you find yourself alone, even in this crowded room. Maybe now that you're at the end of your rope and all out of moves, maybe you're even beginning to sense that God himself is working against you. If that's the situation that you're in, can I suggest to you that now is the time to surrender? For Jacob, he had to get to rock bottom. There was no options left, and it was nothing but a mess and hopelessness before him. Maybe for you, if you're struggling and still wrestling against God, maybe you're going to have to hit rock bottom before you're willing to surrender like Jacob did. But maybe you look at the story of Jacob in this passage and you say, you know what, God? I don't want to wind up there. I would rather save 20 years of heartache and agony for me and everybody I care about and wrestle this thing to the ground now and surrender to your will. Maybe today is the day that you're willing to say, I'm done fighting. Call out to Jesus in your brokenness and grab onto whatever you can of him, even if it's just his feet. If you're tired of fighting, you might think that you've been noble and courageous and, and tough in the process. The only way to overcome in the wrestling with the Almighty is to surrender. And the only way that we can ever receive the blessing that God wants to give to us is to stop fighting and let him provide it. To stop demanding our own way and, and fighting and grasping for every situation that we can to get it ourselves. And say, God, I know you have blessings beyond anything I can ask or imagine. You promise to take care of me, and in this moment, I'm choosing to stop fighting. I want you to bless me so much that I'm willing to let you do it. Let's pray together. Father God, as we look at this story about wrestling, we realize it's far more than that. That it really is a picture of our lives. Lord, perhaps there's one in this room right now who's been wrestling you for a long time. Not even sure who you are. Doesn't even recognize your presence when you're here. resisting you just the same. Lord, in this moment, would your Holy Spirit work? This is the day that one person in this room would choose to cry out to you, to grab onto Jesus as the only source of salvation and hope and life. To experience eternal life as a follower of your son, Jesus. Would you bring them to the point of surrender? Lord, some of us claim to be followers of you like Jacob did, perhaps for decades like him. And yet, even when we pray, by the time we've said amen, we turn away from you and your ways and scheme to figure it out ourselves. Lord, you've been wrestling with us emotionally and spiritually for a long time. And yet we continue to struggle against the one we can never defeat. Lord, would you allow us today, even before we get to that rock-bottom moment, 
surrender to your will. To let you have the control that you eventually will gain no matter what it takes. And Lord, there's some of us in the room who are struggling to try and stay in that place of complete surrender. Lord, would you allow this morning, this moment, to be a memorial, a reminder, like Jacob's hip, of the night that he surrendered himself to you? Would you allow us to continue, no matter how hard it is sometimes, to stop fighting when you want to bless us, to let you have control? your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I wonder if there's somebody in this room who's heard from Jesus today. Maybe there's been a wrestling match going on and right now you're saying, I'm willing to surrender. Giving my will up to his. Would you just slip up your hand not for me, but for Jesus and say, I'm surrendering to you. Somebody in the room who perhaps for the first time is saying today, I don't know that I understand all this Jesus thing, but I'm trusting in his work on the cross to pay the penalty of my sins. I want to experience life to the full. I want to experience eternal life. I'm choosing to become a follower of Jesus today, even if I have to give up the fight to do it. Would you slip up your hand? I pray for those who are responding to your word today, doing business with your Holy Spirit. Lord, you've wrestled them to the ground and they're willing to cry, Uncle. Better yet to cry, Lord, Jesus, I surrender to you. Lord God, would you allow this night to be a turning point in each life that's responded to you the way it was for Jacob? Don't let us go back to the place where we're grasping for our own control and trying to work out our own moves in life. Would you let us walk daily, tomorrow, the next day, And 20 years from now, continuing to surrender to your will. Because we know that what you have for us is better than anything we can ask or imagine, anything we could ever provide for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand together and...